Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. And if you listened last week, you know that we started uh, a little bit of an update for 2023. And we started with Curtis Stokes telling us what to expect from the boat buying market this year. But of course, for the past several years, the other component of that that can prove challenging is the insurance part for those of our members and listeners who are out there searching for their Great Loop boat. So we are bringing back once again, John Horton. John is with Jack Martin and Associates, which is an AGLCA sponsor. And he's gonna fill us in on what we might expect in 2023. Before we jump in with John though, I wanna take a moment as always to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They're Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, John Horton, thanks for joining me again on Great Loop Radio. Hey, always a pleasure to be on board with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are eager to get an update on the insurance market for 2023 because that's kind of been a thorn in the side of some newer boat owners for the past few years. But before we really kind of jump in, um, you are with Jack Martin and Associates. And you specialize in marine insurance, but your experience goes a little bit beyond there because you really are a lifelong boater. So fill us in a little bit on your boating experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I grew up uh, on Lake Gunnersville in Alabama. Um, my family owns All Red Marina there. Um, so, you know, I grew up sanding boat bottoms and, uh, you know, towing boats in and, you know, fixing anything from pedestals on the docks to rudders on a boat. So, I met my wife in uh, 2004 at a wedding in New York City. She's from Kent Island, Maryland, and um, someone had to move, and I moved up here <laughs> and started working for Jack Martin and Associates then, and I've been with them now, I think, 18 years. Yeah, well, and luckily, if you have to make a move um, from Lake Gunnersville, at least it's still some place that's got a lot of boating. Absolutely. I, I couldn't be too far from the water, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, as I kind of mentioned in the intro, um, the past few years has been kind of challenging for loopers who are looking to buy that looping boat, get out on the water on it. Um, what do you expect in 2023? You know, are we going to see some improvements or is it going to kind of be that same kind of challenging market? I, I had a lot of optimism until Ian hit. Um, you know, we, I think only had 16 storms last year, um, paid out like 58 billion, which is a lot of money. 50 of that being Ian. So if we could have gone through last year without Ian, we, we would have been sitting pretty this year. And I think a lot of new markets would have showed up to, to you know, be a player in the, the marine insurance game. Um, but because of Ian, it's it's just made it harder, especially if you're south of 32 degrees, um, which is basically Florida, Georgia, Lion Gulf, Florida area. Um, so what would I expect for 2023? It's going to be a harder market. Um, premiums are going to be higher. Um, some of the things that, you know, current people who already have insurance can look for is at renewal time. Some of our carriers are making them submit new storm plans. And I, I probably would say for the next couple of years, you're going to need a new storm plan every year. Mm -hmm. um, just that they found that a lot of the claims that were paid out from Ian were, you know, where they had a storm plan on file from five years ago that just was not relevant to what happened in Ian. So a lot of these guys are wanting to see new storm plans. Um, and it's probably going to be every renewal, they may require a new storm plan. Um, the other thing they're wanting to see, some of them, we write with 18 companies. So when I say some of them, it's not all 18, but a lot of them um, right. are also requiring uh, cruising itineraries. So they want to know from, you know, 
renewal time if your renewal is February 1st. So from February 1st to 2023 to February 1st, 2024, where are you going to be with the boat? What are your plans? Um, you know, in the past, it was just, hey, I'm going to be on the loop somewhere. Now they're they're tightening down just so that they can price it appropriately. Uh-huh. And, and also, you know, you may be able to save some money. If you're not going to be south um, of the Florida-Georgia border, you're going to be north. Um, you can get a, a policy that will require you to be north during the storm season that could save you some money. So it's, uh, you know, they're getting a lot more accurate with their rating and with their policies. Yeah. And, and of course, Ian has a huge aftermath on loopers because of the just the number of, and I've said it before on this podcast, but the number of looper boats that were in the area, not necessarily current loopers, um, but gold loopers who love that area and either were returning or, or settled in in that area. So it, it's had a huge impact on the looping community. Um, most of what I've heard from our members who lost votes there was that the insurance payouts were pretty, um, pretty easy, relatively easy. So you mentioned, John, that they may be looking for updated storm plans because some of the paths in Ian were related to, you know, the storm plan being out of date. Did you see where that prevented anyone from um, their claim being paid out? You know, is that something that people should really be attuned to, even if their carrier isn't requiring it? Not at all. Luckily, I'm knocking on wood as I say this. I know some companies now require you to be hauled out of the water in the event of a named storm. Mm -hmm. Um, I I luckily didn't have any of those people on my book. Um, Mm -hmm. So everyone I've spoken with, their claims were paid. Um, You know, a few of them, maybe it wasn't as much as they wanted or, you know, maybe it wasn't as fast as they wanted, but it's, uh, you know, they were handled in a a fairly timely manner considering just the magnitude. Yeah. Um, of that storm and and the you know the, the weather people got it wrong they were even a day Absolutely. or two out they were saying Tampa Bay's the bullseye and then all of a sudden it takes a turn due east right into Fort Myers you know so it was yes. a, they missed it they, they call it the the cone of uncertainty and uh they they missed the cone of uncertainty on that one I think yeah and and that's also a good reminder I think there are a lot of boaters there that would have taken more action on the boat had they expected you know, had the forecasts been more correct about what the ultimate path would be. So obviously, sure. very sad situation. Um, and kind of a good reminder for all of us to have that hurricane plan, whether the insurance carrier is requiring it or not. Um, yes. But also a good reminder to, to check in with your agent, uh, John, or whoever it is, and um, make sure your policy is up to date. Because I have also heard from some who will struggle to replace the boat for the value they had it insured for, because the, the market has ticked up, uh, you know, the boat values on uh, previously owned boats has gone up, which is unusual. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, it's really, really something to look at is the, is the value, the agreed upon value in your policy is still something that um, satisfies you should you want to replace that boat. So probably lots of um, insurance lessons we can learn from Hurricane Ian, but most mostly it does seem like a success story and people getting their claims paid. So that's always good news. Um, so kind of the big news the past few years has been, and it sounds like will continue to be, um, that it is not a given (laughs) that if you are a a newer boat owner, that you'll be able to get insurance on a looper sized boat. Um, we were seeing a lot of the insurers require previous ownership experience. So are you expecting that to continue to be the case? Um, and if so, you know, everybody starts somewhere. So what size boat can you purchase and get insured without previous ownership experience? Yeah, I would say, you know, if you started 35 feet or under and you've never owned a boat before, we can get you in that pretty easily. 
Uh Um, I've got a few carriers that will go up to 50 feet, but then they place parameters based off the age of the boat. Um, So that's, uh, you know, that's really the only, uh, I would say, hurdle that you're going to run into. Everyone wants to see prior ownership. And uh, even some of them are getting as strict as previous boat on. So if you owned an 80 foot boat 10 years ago, and now you own a 38 foot boat, and you haven't driven a 50 or 80 foot boat in quite a while, that that could be an issue too, which I'm seeing with one of my carriers. They're they're even getting as strict as saying, hey, what was the last boat that you owned? Uh-huh. Uh, which is, uh, I don't, I'm not sure where they're getting their data to where that's, uh, you know, the correct way to do it, but uh-huh. Someone in a room somewhere with a big data table in front of them knows more than I do, apparently. Yeah. And and a lot of fe- people find that curious um, because that was kind of a shift that they were looking for ownership experience instead of actual boating experience or on the water experience. And it can be two different things. And I've seen, um, you know, people who were licensed Coast Guard captains but hadn't owned a boat being, uh, you know, it, it becoming a struggle for them to get insurance and them kind of questioning that and it is an interesting question any any idea what caused that shift what's what's making insurance companies think it's less risk to have somebody who's owned a boat before versus somebody who's had experience on boats once again it's all about their actuarial data based off of claims experience um so you know they they went back in the past and they looked and said hey you know what could we have done to prevent it from paying all of these claims um and you know some of them are even they charge more money if you're single versus married um if you're a homeowner versus renting a home um, there's, you know, they've all got their own little philosophies, but seems like the ownership has been something that's adopted across the board. I think with every carrier, except for maybe one or two, mm-hmm. um, they just, just feel like the, the ownership is really indicative of whether you're going to file a claim in the future. Um, and also, you know, that, that again will affect your premium and it will, a lot of the companies it'll affect the acceptability, whether they're, they're even willing to look at you as a customer or not. Yeah. One of the things that also changed in the past few years, um, we used to see that if someone was a little bit short on boat boating experience or boat ownership, that the companies would require a certain amount of time with a captain aboard um, before they were, you know, and then the captain may have to, you know, sign off on the skills of the person as well. We started to see that amount of time go up to where we saw some people quoted, you know, a year with a captain aboard. Um, and then we started to see that completely go away where that wasn't even an option to have a captain aboard and therefore obtain that insurance. Last week, we talked to Curtis Stokes on this podcast, and he kind of was giving us an update on the boat buying. And he mentioned he has seen a few clients fairly recently where that parameter was back in. They had not an, enough experience, but if they had a captain for a certain amount of time, that made it okay. So is that shifting back? Is that what you're seeing, or was that kind of an anomaly? I would say definitely it's uh, there, there's two companies, two or three out there that are starting to say, hey, you know what, we're OK with the captain sign off, but we don't want you to do the great loop for a year. So it, it may be something where you go out and buy a boat that's a little bit bigger than what they like. But they say, OK, you, you can do a captain sign off, but we want you to stay in the Chesapeake Bay for year one. And then year two, we'll extend it uh, to the loop because what they were doing there, they were seeing where they would do a captain sign off and someone would jump on the loop get into some unfamiliar waters and they had claims. Um, so they're, I think they're still trying to play with that idea that they know it's a good idea to have someone uh, on board. You know, we've got quite a few sponsors in the, in the AGLCA that are uh-huh. very awesome captain trainers um, that can, you know, to me, give you more experience than you could get in a year on the water. 
Um, so they, I think the underwriters are starting to realize that a little bit and they're, they're trying to get that back into play, but right yeah. now it's, it's, it's very, very small. Yeah, no, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, uh, discounts, if you own a home versus rent or, you know, lower premiums, if you're married and those are kind of, you know, the insurance tables, so to speak, um, that we're all somewhat familiar with. We've just never really applied them to boating before. And, you know, I've had members say, well, couldn't we get a study that, you know, shows that this is a low risk group so that maybe we can have a, as a group, have a lower premium. And it's just an unusual situation because loopers are typically a group of people who have worked their whole lives, done all the right things. And in most places would be considered a very low insurance risk. Doesn't hold true to a boat. Um, And, you know, I think if we commissioned that type of study, we would not really like the results. <laughs> um, but, you know, many insurers I've spoken to or insurance agents like yourself have um, told me they, they get a lot of claims from loopers. It honestly makes sense, though. Um, if you look at the number of hours a looper is using that boat, running that boat, aboard the boat, in a marina, you know, it way exceeds in that year or so they may be doing the loop, the, the amount of hours very much, you know, it might be how much time somebody else would put on their boat in 20 years of ownership. Right. No, so it's kind of easy to understand why there's claims, right? Absolutely. That and also the unfamiliar waters, you know, you're not, you know, you're not in the Chesapeake Bay all the time where, you know, you know, the tides and, you know, um, you know, maybe there's a lower spot in the middle of the bay that you want to avoid. A lot of times you're in unfamiliar waters, you know, you can get on the captain's charts and all of that's great. And it's something you should definitely do, but it, you know, things happen out there, things change, and there could be a submerged object that, that you don't know about that happened overnight um, that could be right in your path. So it's, uh, you know, I think that's a, a bit of an effect as well. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, we at AGLCA don't really mind the idea that the insurance companies want people to have that boat for a year and use it for a year before they set out on the loop. It's something that we've kind of preached for a long time is that you really need confidence and you know be capable handling the boat in those unfamiliar waters so the more you use it even in your home waters you know you're just you're you know what the boat does you know how the boat feels how it's going to react so um i I kind of like that the insurance companies are pushing that for us (laughs) yeah it's you know how to respond as well so if something does happen you're maybe you've already experienced a grounding or something like that you know what to expect as opposed to it being something fresh and new and unfamiliar waters that's uh you know, makes for a a better experience if you know what to expect. Yeah. Well, and, you know, as you said, things are going to happen. You know, Michael's on his third time around the loop and around the loop, and we hit um, a submerged rock pile that probably had the water been at a normal level in the river system. You know, it's very low. (laughs) Um, Had it been a little bit more normal, it would have been fine. It was in the channel, just a little bit off the sailing line. We were trying to go around, you know, a barge said to pass them on the one, the tow captain, um, and, and there was the rock. So, you know, it happens. Thankfully, it was a minor incident. We didn't need to put in a claim. Um, but for somebody that does, you know, that's why you have insurance. Are you seeing people putting in claims and then um, seeing big swings in premiums or seeing, you know, not being reinsured later on? It's anytime you have a hard market. Yeah, they're they're looking at any way to get the book profitable to. So, you know, whatever company it might be that they're they're in the business to make money. So, what they'll want to do in this hard market after they've paid out a bunch of claims is try to clean their book up a little bit. So if you've had multiple claims, it's possible, especially these companies that have paid out a lot of claims, it's possible that they may just say, Hey, you know, we're not taking people that have had two claims in the last two years. 
Yeah. Um, so something where, to consider, um, you yeah, know, yeah. unless it's a major loss, you may want to just, um, you know, pocket that loss and uh, not file the claim. Um, let's take a quick break. Let's play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the parameters of the boat that, you know, could affect whether you can be insured and what those premiums might be. And we'll just kind of wrap up our discussion on what to expect in 2023 from the insurance market. So we'll be back in a moment. Our friends at Argo Navigation have created a free boating app that gives AGLCA boaters an easier way to plan their trip, navigate safely, and share information with fellow loopers. Argo has nautical chart coverage throughout North America, auto or manual routing, depths and tracks to avoid shallow water, trip details while en route, and a captain's log to save everything. You can also see other boaters, message them, and share experiences with in-app social features. Coming soon is a premium version with weather, wind, tides, offline charts, and more. Download the Argo Boating app on the App Store or Google Play. We are back on the Great Loop Radio podcast. Our guest today is John Horton. John is with Jack Martin and Associates, which is an AGLCA sponsor. And he is uh, filling us in on what to expect from marine insurance, particularly for the loop in 2023. We know that's kind of been a sticking point for some people. And, and thankfully, with, with John's help and some of our other guests, we've been able to get the word out that insurance is not a given right now um, for somebody buying a boat. And a couple of years ago, I was seeing people literally buying a boat and then calling me and saying, I bought the boat. I can't get insurance. So. I'm glad we're getting the word out um, so people can move that process up in the boat buying process, you know, making sure that they are pre-approved, so to speak, for insurance. And I kind of use that word loosely because pre-approval may not really be something that exists in insurance. But how do you recommend somebody that's doing some boat shopping and, you know, wants to make sure on the front end that they'll be able to get insured? Do they need to give you a specific, you know, kind of make and model how, how does that work so that they know whether or not they can get insurance before they actually put in an offer and go through a survey? Yeah, I, I usually tell most people, give me a call and let's discuss, you know, what's your previous ownership, your prior experience, where you want a boat, where you want to keep the boat. And I can kind of give you a loose, uh, you know, parameters of what kind of boat you should be looking at. And then once you narrow it down to say, hey, you know, I want to put in an offer on the boat before you put that offer in on that particular boat, give me a call and let's get you a hard quote in hand. Um, that way you are not, you know, going through a process where you may be losing a deposit or, you know, just wasting a bunch of your time and your broker's time of going after a boat that you can't get. Yeah, that's good advice. And just to, to make sure, you know, perfectly clear, um, Curtis talked last week about the market is still moving very quickly. And a lot of times offers are put in sight on scene. Um, if you are working with a broker, uh, you will um, be able to put in that offer and it can be contingent and the contingent can be, you know, you can walk away without losing a deposit for just about any reason at that point. So, um, Good. so yeah, you can put in the offer, um, make sure that you have the proper contingencies and your broker can help you with that and then go to John for insurance, but certainly go to John for the insurance or whoever you're going to go to before you go to the expense of a lot of travel and, and survey of the boat. That's, sure. that's where we would suggest you kind of fit that process in and get the firm quote. Um, John, you mentioned earlier that the age of the boat sometimes um, can affect can affect insurability. Tell us a little bit about that. When should that become a concern? Again, with a hard market, uh, two or three of my carriers started saying, hey, we're not going to insure boats over a certain age. You know, some of them it's 20, some of them it's 25, some of them it's 30. Um, I still do have a bunch of carriers that will do the older boats, uh, but it's all going to come down to a good survey. 
so once you get into the process there, um, again, let's get a hard quote in hand. We can know if the premium is even affordable on the older boat or if we can even get a quote on it. Um, some of the things that would affect that would be the, the material of the boat. If it's a steel boat versus a fiberglass or an old wooden boat, uh, the steel and wooden boats are a lot harder to get insured. Um, I'm down to like two markets on that right now. Um, whereas the fiberglass boats and, um, you know, just there, there's a lot more opportunity out there for us to get quotes for them. Uh -huh. um, but as far as age goes, as long as you have a good survey, we can we can take a stab at it. OK, um, one of the things I heard as as feedback last year, I, I think probably after we did this kind of market update, um, got some a call from someone who said, you know, you're, you're putting out this doom and gloom that we can't get insurance um, and we really can. And when we kind of talked about the details, there have been some who have been successful getting insurance through some of the markets, that, and you're one of them, John, who's been able to help a lot of members to do that. So thank you for that. Um, but some of it also comes down to uh, folks who are kind of reaching out to their normal insurance agents, agency that you know writes their cars and their homes and things like that and getting a quote. And sometimes that is successful. And I'm not going to say that that's the wrong way to go about it necessarily, but there is a difference between a yacht policy and a boat policy. And most likely that standard agent who's not a marine specialist is probably quoting you on a boat policy. Again, that doesn't mean it's wrong, but there's some coverages you may not have that for something like the loop you may want. So just talk a little bit about the differences between a boat policy and a true yacht policy. Sure. Um, for, first thing you want to look at when you're getting a quote from your, your homeowners or, uh, you know, commercial insurance agent, make sure it, it is an agreed value policy. Um, I see a lot of these guys that go out and they get a quote from their home and auto guy and the home and auto guy just doesn't know any better. Um, he's quoting you an actual cash value policy. So if you have a total loss, they're going to go to the Marine Blue Book and they're going to say, OK, that today that boat is worth X amount of money minus depreciation. So. Whereas an agreed value policy, we're going to say, hey, I paid 100 grand for this. You and me and the insurance company all agree the boat's worth 100 grand. So if you have a total loss, you're going to get a check for $100,000 minus deductible, um, which is what you want. That's what the banks want. I mean, that, that's what you need. Um, so that that's first and foremost, if you're, you're dealing with a, a non-marine specialist, I guess I would say. Um, difference between a yacht and a boat policy um, Big thing, boat policies have wide open navigation. Um, so you can navigate in all 48 states in most cases because boat policies are usually trailerable, um, you know, where they can take them from Florida to, to Massachusetts or wherever they want to use the boat. So they give them a much broader navigation, whereas a yacht policy is going to say, hey, we want you to be in the Chesapeake Bay um, or we want you to be, uh, you know, North Atlantic, full Atlantic, whatever it might be. Um, and there'll be different premiums associated. Um, another big thing, yacht policies also cover your dinghy. Um, they're also going to cover your electronics. They usually come with uh, towing packages, um, you know, bigger personal effects limits and uh, higher med pay limits. Um, they usually have better um, terms for depreciation. They're covering onboard machinery, um, whereas a boat policy, you know, is made for a boat that you're trailering around. And it's a, a little more bare bones and it's usually a little more affordable. Um, I'm seeing though a lot of companies are, are coming out with these beefed up boat policies, which, uh, you know, does add in electronics. It does add in consequential damage. Um, and, uh, you know, th there are a lot of good, not saying all boat policies are bad. There are some good ones out there, but just that's the big difference. If you have a boat policy, you're going to need to have a separate coverage 
for the the dinghy. If you do have a dinghy on board, you need to have a, a second unit added onto that boat policy, whereas a yacht policy is going to cover it automatically. Yeah. One of the things I, I have heard, um, and and you can confirm this or deny this based on your experiences, John, but that a lot of the boat policies don't have the same kind of coverage um, for environmental damage or environmental cleanup. Um, so, you know, being out there on the loop, if you have a fuel spill, if you, you know, if the boat, you know, we hope this never happens, but if the boat sinks and the fluids leak from the boat or the boat has to be um, raised, you know, that some of the boat policies will not cover that kind of cleanup. And, and, and frankly, that's what a lot of us want the insurance for, you know, the little dings and nicks are the things we're not going to put in a claim for. Um, but those catastrophic things uh, may not be covered the way we would expect. The boat might be covered on a boat policy, but not the consequential damage to things that can be costly. Is that what you find or is, are there differences there? No, that's exactly right. A lot of times uh, on a boat policy, your pollution spill liability will match whatever the liability limit is in the policy. <clears throat> Whereas in a yacht policy, it's a whole separate limit, and it's usually mandated by the uh, uh, Oil Pollution Act, which is, I think, currently setting a fine at $997,100. So $997,100 is yeah. the maximum fine you can receive. Um, and that's the limit that you see on most yacht policies. Um, I will say, I just got back from a big conference from one of the boat insurance people, and they're starting that whole separate pool of coverage to the nine ninety seven one but they're doing it on a state-by-state -state basis. So if you're insured with them and you don't have it yet, you will very soon. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I think a lot of these boat policies are beefing themselves up to, you know, look like a yacht policy, but still be a boat policy. Yeah. So just, um, you know, probably the best takeaway there for everyone listening is really talk to an expert and make sure that the coverages you have in the policy you're considering are really going to meet your own risk tolerance. Everybody's risk tolerance is different. And, a, you know, a policy that's not beefed up may meet some needs. Um, others may have, you know, a, a little bit less risk toler tolerance and a, a little bit more protection. Um, what about, uh, John, we hear some people, you know, considering self-insuring. Um, if they're on a tight budget, maybe the, the boat is not, of uh, you know, considered high dollar value, even though to them it probably is. Um, is that, you know, is that still... Possible. We've we've heard some people talk about getting liability only coverage. You know, the self insurance where I see an issue for that is that most marinas will require you to have insurance. Now, on the loop, if you're truly transient, going a day or two here or there, many won't ask for proof of that. Um, if you're longer stays, they they might and often do. Um, you know, what's your take on some of perhaps the the money saving options that people might come up with, whether it's self insuring or perhaps a liability only policy. I, I see a, uh, quite a few people that if they don't have a loan on the boat, they go with liability only. Mm -hmm. um, and it's I've got a couple of companies that still do offer that coverage. What you run into there a lot of times you you lose coverages like wreck removal. Um, so if you were damaged in a hurricane and your boat was thrown up in someone's backyard, you've got to get that boat out of their yard somehow. And those liability only policies don't have that. Uh -huh. um, so that's that's something to think about when you're doing that. And also pollution spill. Is that included in that liability only policy or is it just for liability damage that you would do to docks or someone else's boat or person? Right. Um, so that's that's some things to look at. But it's definitely an option and it'll definitely save you some money if you want to go that route. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that. Um, just as we wrap up, any other advice that you have for someone who is new to boating and you know wants to do the loop and what can they do to kind of set themselves up to have the best results when they start shopping for insurance? 
Yeah, I would say, you know, the what I'm seeing a lot of people are saying, hey, I want to live aboard full time. And, and that's great. But when you do that, that takes me from 18 companies down to about two. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you could keep a home or rent an apartment or something like that, where you're not a full-time live aboard, where you have a, your primary residence is somewhere land-based, mm-hmm. um, there are more options for you if you do it that way. Um, if you're new to boating and you're wanting to get into a 50-foot boat, my suggestion would be start smaller and work that 10 foot increment up over, you know, four or five years mm-hmm. to get to that 50 footer. And, uh, it's a, it's a lot more doable. I know a lot of people are jumping into the loop later in life and they're, you know, I'm two years from retirement. What do I need to do to get on the loop? And I see that a lot and we can help you there as well, but it's just, uh, it's a tougher road in a much smaller market. Yeah. Planning ahead, uh, certainly helps. And we know that a lot of um, future loopers listen to this podcast. So hopefully that message is getting out and they can, you know, plan for that, plan for the step up, uh, gain some experience. So um, John Horton with Jack Martin and Associates, thank you for your very long-term AJLCA sponsorship. And thanks for sharing this information today. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure, guys. Always a pleasure. Happy New Year to you too. Thanks to everyone who has listened or watched today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.